Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, all. How are you? Well, I don't know if this is a good thing or bad thing, but look at all these little note tab things I have in my Bible. Um, We might be here for a little bit. I got a a lot of stuff I'm trying to work through. Uh, In fact, just this morning, as I was just, um, come on, words, come on, words, 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 as I was preparing for us um, to meet together. Ooh. I'm just touched all of a sudden, okay. As I was just preparing for us to meet, I was reminded of a passage in Jeremiah. And so um, I'm just gonna read that to start for us. So um, I did give the words to the people in the media um, booth back there, but I wanna read Jeremiah chapter 17, verses seven and eight. Are they behind me? I can't see. All right, very good. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. For he is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and it's not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. Let's go back to verse seven again. Blessed is the man. Of course, that could be translated woman too. But just pause for a moment to consider what the prophet Jeremiah is envisioning Centuries after his words are spoken, there'll be one who will come. We're going to celebrate his birth in a few weeks. It's the son of God, Jesus Christ, who's going to come. And he's going to create a way for us to live into this visioned experience that Jeremiah saw. That Jeremiah saw you and me. Like when he peered into the future and he said these words, blessed is the person, blessed is the man or woman who trusts in the Lord for they're going to be like a tree that's planted near a stream. And then he goes, well, like, we're like, so? <laughs> what does that mean? It means that its roots go into the stream and that when heat comes, that the leaves will never fall that the fruit will always be available in our lives. Now, what does that mean for us? It just means this, that, that in the, the terrors, and I use that word intentionally, of, of this world that we find ourselves in sometimes, that we have the promise that in God and through Christ Jesus, that we can be like trees planted, where when uh, stresses of the world come or ten- tensions in our, our family situations come or all kinds of things that might be coming against us, that we can remain steadfast in God because he is the stream of life that provides everything that we need to not wither. Some of you, some of us are withering. Some of us are withering. Um, I've been a pastor here um, 11 years. I know many of you intimately. I know a lot of you very well. I know some of the things that are going on in your life. And so I, I say those words, some of you are withering because I know what you're going through. 
But I'm here to say that, that there's a lot of other people that I don't know fully, and, and I think that word is for you too, that you're withering, that there's something. And, and I, I just want to just put this before us this morning that I think God has another way. Jeremiah saw it. There come a day when the man and woman will be blessed because they will trust in the Lord and they will be like a tree that's planted near waters and it will always bear fruit and it will never wither. It will never wither. I want the Lord to speak to us today about what it looks like to live that experience, to live in that reality that God has for us. This week we're doing week two. Um, everybody give a hand to the court jester, Joe, over here. <laughs> Part of his salary is earmarked comedic relief. So we thank you for that. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, but week two of an out of order series where we're just talking about what it looks like when we live our lives um, disordered, when things are just not in the right place where they should be and the, and the damage that those things can can do to us, what it looks like when our lives are, in fact, out of order. And so this week, I want to just talk about this reality of living a life that's connected to God in such a way that we don't faint when it's tough. I want to talk about this reality that we can have a depth of relationship with God. And in fact, I would even argue that it's our responsibility to foster that relationship with God. I might step on some toes today. I don't know. I don't intend to. But I know the Lord is good and he's good all the time and that sometimes we need to be awakened from a slumber that would cause us to live a life that's disordered. You have the opportunity to have a really good relationship with the Lord, as do I. But our world around us is um, ever turmoil, in turmoil. I see that all the time. We see uh, political unrest. I just wrote a few things down. You guys can just watch the news and you'll see what I'm talking about. There's political unrest still. A year later, we're still wondering. Some are still wondering who the real president is. And if you're, well, I'm not even going into that. So, <laughs> but if you're here, <laughs> Jesus loves you too. And, um, and it's all good. It's all, it's like, whatever. Um, I'm moving on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, concerns of our climate and environment right there. Some of you just checked out and don't believe it's real and that's fine. I think we could steward better. I think we could do a whole lot of things differently, but that's our world that we're living in. Many of us are losing ourselves um, slowly as we delve deeper into the echo chamber that is social media. The countless the seemingly endless news cycles of negative story after negative story after negative story is, is having an effect on us. The reality is, as we dive deeper into the social media thing, and I'm not, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm telling you guys, man, I'm thinking about getting rid of my smartphone. Say amen. Anyone? Anyone else want to go with me? Anyone else? That's not my message, but I'm really thinking about that. <laughs> because I'm afraid of what it's doing to me. I'm a Christian and you can imagine the little spelunking helmet that I have with a light that you have on that helps you find your way in the darkness. And the light would be Jesus Christ. And that we find ourselves further and further, deeper and deeper into these negative pits, these caves. This, and, and the light of Jesus is growing dim for us. But it doesn't have to be the way, that way. 
The Red Cross interviewed and surveyed some people this last year and found that 51% of the people that were surveyed said that this past year has had a negative impact on their mental health. I mean, with the nods in the room, I can see that we all agree with that. 51% of the people surveyed said they had a negative impact on their mental health from last year. And the Red Cross recommended a couple things to help with that. I'll just give you a few and then jump off of one to go into my message. They say you can maintain routines. That'll be helpful. How many people are routine people? Do the same thing all the time, right? Eat the same meal all the time. Whatever it is, it's routines are very helpful for our mental health. Secondarily, we can also do, uh, we can limit our screen time, as I already mentioned. And this is to combat the dropping levels of serotonin and melatonin that impacts the way we live and the way we sleep and the way we think and how we feel. That's something you can consider or not. doesn't matter. Right? You choose. You can have your way. But the last thing that the Red Cross mentioned, and this is where I want to go today, is that we need to have deeper connections. I think this is true. I think we need to have connections with each other. And I think this is one of the things that hurt so much from last year when we were all sent home to shelter in place and we were isolated from one another, our friends and coworkers at work, and then, and then um, isolated even from our church friends and family. That was the biggest thing that I hear. When people make their way back to church having been gone for a while, most all of them say, gosh, I didn't realize how much I missed it. And so we're thankful for that. We're thankful that we can come back to church. But here's the thrust today is that we need to connect with God too. That's not the Red Cross's idea. That's my idea. I think we need to go to a place where we learn to connect with God. And by connect, I mean just to know him and to understand him. The Bible talks all through scripture about God in his omniscience, which means all knowingness, that he knows us intimately. Jeremiah, again, the prophet says this, before I knit you in your mother's womb, or or, as you were being created in your mother's womb, I knew you. I knew who you were. I'll just read something, and I didn't give the verses to the people in the video, um, the media place, but uh, let me just read the first four verses of Psalm 139. Speaking of how God knows us, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. Makes an interesting conversation about going to the bathroom. Anyways, going on from there, you discern my, moving on, discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, O God, from my lying down and you are acquainted with all of my ways, God says. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it. The Lord knows us intimately. Jesus uses language like an agrarian, a farmer, a livestock person. He he uses language to paint a board picture of, of a shepherd and flocks of animals. Jesus says that he's a shepherd who cares for his people, his sheep. He says that um, the sheep can't find water unless I lead them. They can't find food unless I lead them. Hear me when I say this, that we will always be hungry and thirsty if Jesus isn't the one leading us. There will always be a pang inside telling you something isn't as it should be if Jesus is not the one leading you. He knows us. Jesus says these words, John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. And he knows us. But it's not just that God knows us, but he's, there's also an invitation to know God 
back. There's an invitation to know more about who God is. We've been invited to know him too. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 14, just a, a few verses before that phrase. He says this, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own what? Know me. There's an implication that this relationship that God wants for us is not just him knowing everything because he's God, but also that we finite creatures have the ability to know the infinite creator of all things. And we always grow in our knowledge and understanding of who he is. This is the Christian walk. And we must be people who desire to know God better. Matthew 7, 23 says this, that knowledge is so important to God that Jesus says this, there's going to come a day when people are going to come to me and say, I did all these things in your name and I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me. What? Ultimately, to not know God's ways, hear me when I say this, is to be disobedient. The author of Hebrews picks this up in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 10. And this is God speaking about the generation that wandered in the desert, right? As they were led out of the wilderness and into the promised land, they wandered around because of their disobedience. But look what he says here in verse 10. I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. Why? Why are they always going astray? Because they have not known my ways. That there's a wandering that happens in our lives if we do not know the ways of God. What's interesting is this, this Greek word that's translated to know or know it implies more than just a theoretical or a rational kind of knowledge, but it actually speaks like an Old Testament Semitic sense of um, a personal bond. Schackenberg says this, it's the type of knowledge that leads to communion. It's the type of knowledge um, that's not unlike the knowledge that's intimate between a, a married couple. <laughs> that there's a way to know God at that level, to be intimately tied to him. As he searches us and knows us, that there's a way to search him and know him too, to understand his ways for you. And to not do so would, would cause us to wander and to even be disobedient. This intimacy God has for us, and it's what God, it's what I feel God wants for me, and I think it's what God wants for you too. This is a, a picture of intimacy that the Bible has all through scripture. This idea of a married couple, intimacy with married couples. In fact, it's the story we see unfold in the Old Testament. You guys know the story when Moses goes up a mountain to receive the Ten Commandments and brings them back down? What most of us miss is we see this idea of the Ten Commandments being given to God's people is just like a, 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 a time where God just gave out laws or rules and regulations. But the, the Jewish person, person sees that event much differently. They see that story from the Old Testament like a wedding taking place. Let me back this up for you. So God calls his people out of slavery in Egypt through Moses, redeems them, rescues them. We won't spend a lot of time on that. And he pulls them out into a place where he says some words to him like this. I'm paraphrasing at this point, but this is the gist of what I'm trying to drive at. Is that God says to his people, I'm choosing you. Of all of the people of the earth, I choose you, Israel. I'm going to be your God. 
and you're going to be my people. And the invitation at the mountain is uh, to, to enter into that relationship. The, the Ten Commandments, if you will, are just modern day wedding vows. Where they stand before each other and says, I'll do this, you do this. And he says, don't put other gods before me. That's every husband. I do a lot of weddings on this stage and that's every husband's vow. Don't put another guy before me. And conversely, the women do the same thing. You see, you see how the Jewish mind sees this now. This is not just rules and regulation, but there's an invitation into an intimate relationship with God. I've rescued you. I've saved you. Now come up the mountain and let's have, let's consummate this thing, so to speak. There's a whole lot I could speak about that particular event and I don't have time. But watch what happens next. God begins to come down the mountain. The Bible tells us the mountain begins to shake, smoke, and flames. Uh, flames? I don't know if that's a real thing. I made that up. feels very much like a J.R.R. Tolkien story at this point. <laughs> but the mountain begins to shake, and God begins to descend. But the people were afraid. And they pushed Moses up the mountain instead. The God of heaven and the earth, the creator of everything, is inviting someone into a relationship with them and they push someone else instead. You see how wrong that feels, especially on a wedding? Could you imagine if somebody asked their buddy to stand in for them at their wedding because they had, they had to finish 18 before they could get to the reception? <laughs> or whatever, right? Could you imagine... If someone were to put somebody else in that place, when the invitation is to know a person in a way that you could never know them you know, differently, and, and they send someone else instead, that this, is the, this is what I want you to understand. This is what they did for God, or to God. And I think this is what we do sometimes to God too. As we oftentimes let, we let someone else go on our behalf. Well, I'll let my husband be the spiritual leader in the house, and I'm not opposed to that. But don't think for a moment that God doesn't want to know the wife just as much as he knows the husband. And, and wants the wife to know God just as much as he knows the husband. And vice versa. You know what I'm saying? That we oftentimes let other people go first. Listen, individually, God wants a relationship with us. And sometimes we let other people go instead. I will say this, that if we let someone go before us instead of, instead of us, it's not going to be good for us. We're always going to fight this feeling of inadequacy. When the invitation is to know God and we decide not to go and send someone else, we're always going to feel inadequate that we don't have the right to stand before God. But you're wrong if you think that. You absolutely have the right to stand before God. And it's not based on any merit of your own, but on the merit of Jesus Christ, his son, who died for you, that you might stand before him. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a door swung wide open and God is mighty and he is big. And yes, he does make my legs quake some days, but he says, come in. He's come to me. And if we, if we send someone else on our behalf, then we'll always fight the feelings of inadequacy. Know this, that the person that you're thrusting instead, in your stead, cannot always be there for you. Some of you have already felt this before, that the person you were relying on for your relationship with God have let you down. It's because they can't carry that weight. You're placing it on them for... 
onto a person that they can't carry that weight. So we, we will always be let down by that person. And hear me when I say this, that when we let someone else go on our behalf, it will, it will keep us immature in the things of God. You will remain an infant in the things and knowledge of God. You, you will not mature into greater things in God because you're letting someone go on your behalf. Daryl Robinson says this in his book, A Total Church Life, churches with the hired holy man syndrome remain immature. What is this hired holy man syndrome I speak of? Uh, you're looking at it. Welcome to Renaissance. I'm the hired pastor. Like my, my paycheck comes from y'all. Thank you. Thank you. But the danger sometimes is you, you then let me or Josh or Jen or Joe or Chris or someone else do the thing for you. Well, they're the hired ones, aren't they? I have a lot of feelings about this. Um, I've prayed the Lord temper them this morning. But hear me when I say that. You're, you're living a life, potentially, I want to be very, I want to speak life over you, not death, but you're potentially living a life that's beneath what God is calling you into because you're allowing someone else, i.e. me or Joe or someone else in your life to go first, to do the thing for you. And God's just saying, I want to have a relationship with you. And I think my role is imperative and important into what your life relationship with God could look like, but it's not paramount. That ultimately you have a responsibility to know who God is. I want to say this real quick. Um, when we put pressure on other people to do the thing for them or to, to do the thing for us, um, it makes it harder for them to have a personal relationship with God because they're constantly carrying your relationship with God. <laughs> Is this helping anyone? I'll look over here. <laughs> it makes it harder for that person to have a relationship with God because they're, they're doing all your work too. Oh. And the pressure becomes too much. I'll go so far to say it's unfair what you've done to me. A couple weeks ago, I received a text from a person who attends this church after I spoke a couple weeks ago. It was my first time back. Who was here for the first time I came back after a 16-week sabbatical? Right? It was wonderful. I loved it. I felt like I didn't have my sea legs for the first little bit, but I finally got my rhythm going. It was great. And I, I just bared my soul in front of everyone. Like, it was really tough for me when I was on sabbatical. It was, it was really hard. And I found that I was, I was searching for life source from something called the church instead of from Jesus Christ. And it was terrible. You guys know I repented, like, in front of all, all of you. It was terrible, right? And this person sends me a text. I'm not saying this, like, a negative way, but he's like, Jeff, I'm in the exact same place as you are. Help me. And, and look what I did. This is how I can lower the bar of expectations. I'm like a professional at it. Like I just, I didn't even respond to his text for two weeks. Saw him one week at church and I said, hey, sorry, I haven't responded to your text. The next day he sends me a text and check out what he said. He says, I'm so sorry, Jeff, I sent that to you 
I meant to send it to Jesus. There it is. Like, I don't know, we're clapping. He's a good person. He's not a good person. God wants to know you. The invitation is to know him back. It could even be disobedience to not know him back. It can lead you into a life of waywardness and sinfulness if we don't lean in and know him back. But some people want to argue that it's, I do this as well, it's difficult to know God some days. I think one of the the problems we have in our culture these days is that we somehow have relegated um, knowing God or apprenticing to God or discipling under God or just following God into this intellectual idea that you just have to know the Bible. In fact, I'll read a quote I found on Twitter even this morning um, as I was preparing this. By no means am I anti-intellectual. This is David Jacobson. I don't know him. <laughs> I'm just, I just saw this and like the Lord illuminated it. He says this, I'm not an anti-intellectual, but I'm convinced that the church in America has largely replaced the pursuit of obedience to Christ with the pursuit of knowledge as, it, as, a, as if faithfulness will come from one more sermon, one more class, one more book, one more study. And I think... That word that he used in there, that's the key that unlocks something for me today. That we can know God, and, I, and not, here, I'm not anti-Bible. Like, I, if you could see my Bible, I read it often. <laughs> like, it's marked up. This is my legacy for my children. I've mentioned this many times before, but there are a lot of notes in here where I'm questioning what I'm reading. I'm making, and when I die, my kiddos get to read this and go, my God, Dad was insane. <laughs> Like he, is, he is not a sane person. But I know this, I'm this, I'm this guy. Joe says this all the time when he preaches. For 10 or 11 years, every Sunday at this church, we open the scriptures and we preach them. Right? I quoted some already today. It's important. But there's more to knowing God than knowing the Bible. Let, let, let that wash over you as it frightens many of you. (laughs) That there are many ways to know God besides knowing the Bible. This is huge. Please don't email me. (laughs) Email me. It's huge. I'm thankful for this. Right? But there's other ways that we can know who God is. And may I just remind you how the disciples in Jesus' day knew God. They followed with Jesus, right, for three, three and a half years. We'll just talk about the 12 for a moment. They followed him intimately, closely, knew him, ate with him, celebrated probably birthdays and what they did that. I don't know what they did, but all the things they did. But after a while, Jesus dies on a cross, is resurrected, ascends back to the Father, and says some like cryptic words. It's good that I go away from you because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to help you. And that's the key, that, that, that Jesus left them. Now the disciples aren't carrying around 66 books in a leather-bound book. Going, oh, we, what's God want? We just uh, read the books, read the chapters, quote the things. They're not. They're, they're being filled with God's spirit to lead them into what? Obedience, into trust, into prayer, into all of these things. And that's what I want you guys to understand, that there's a way to know who God is outside of this. There's a way to know God inside of this. Say amen. amen. Right? Don't, don't just relegate it to the only way to know him. Are we okay? I'm, 
Have I lost it? Are we okay? Yes. Yes, we can know him. Here's how I know it's true. Because it was my story. Because I, when I was a young Christian, I put all the pressure on my pastor and I got so frustrated with him too because he couldn't provide everything that I needed. Da, 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 complain, whatever. And the Lord says, Jeff, he can't do that for you. And I moved on. I went to the scriptures. I just need to know more and study more. And I spent all my time trying to know and study. And ultimately, the thing that transformed me was when I walked in obedience to the things he asked me to do. Jeff, I don't want you going to those places anymore. It's not healthy for you. There's no scripture in there that says, Jeff, stop going to those places. It's not healthy for you. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Jeff, I need you to stop. So I did. Boom. Light come on. And my life's different now. Jeff, I want you to stop doing this. Jeff, I want you to add this to your life. Jeff, I need you to this. I'm asking, and and I'm entering into a relationship and into a, a knowledge of who God is simply by saying yes when he asks. For many of us in the room, we don't know how to do that. And so we get the Bible app on our phone and we say, this is the year we're going to read the whole freaking Bible. January 4th, we're three days behind. (laughs) Anyone? That's a real thing. Oh my goodness. (laughs) But the disciples, they're making their way through it. And the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God, Okay, real quick, word study on the word holy just means to be separated, set apart. So when God is calling us into holiness, you know what he's calling us into? Something set apart, something different, something unique. That's when he chose Israel of all the nations on the earth, he was setting them apart for his own special use. And he says these words in Exodus. He says, I'm going to make you a holy nation Right in a kingdom of priests. I don't have time for all that, but just know this, that there's a holy nation. It just means that this, there's a people group that's set apart for him. And he does that, I love this, through his spirit that we call holy. The one who is set apart and leading us into set-apartness. That's leading us into otherness. That's leading us into a different thing for us. How do you know what the right thing to do is? Ask God. Ask him. He he will never lead you the wrong way. Read your Bible, pray, and then walk in obedience in the ways of Jesus. A couple last things as I close here. When we walk in the way of Jesus, don't throw stones at other people. Please. Please. The, the one opportunity, Jesus, um, when the woman in, caught in adultery is brought before Jesus, and he has the right by the law of God to stone her to death. Right? This is a capital offense in Old Testament scripture that you can be stoned to death for being caught in adultery. And Jesus has the opportunity to do so and rightfully do so. And he says that thing, who who has not sinned, go ahead and cast the first stone. 
Just know this, that we're all in places of dishevelment and just trying to figure things out. If you're like me, the last year and a half has felt like a roller coaster ride, and I've learned in my old age, I do not care for roller coasters. <laughs> I feel unsettled all the time, and the last thing I need is someone to throw a stone at me and to criticize me. Can you believe Jeff didn't wear socks on the stage? <laughs> and, and, and all of you are looking at my feet right now. Right? Can you believe? I have socks on. They're just, anyways. But so we don't want to be people that throw things. Listen, their life's a roller coaster too. You don't know it all. You just, all right. Walk in obedience. Don't throw stones. Let's practice hospitality, an invitational spirit that allows people to come and to know who Jesus is. That seemed to be the model of sharing the gospel in his day. He was constantly inviting himself to other people's houses to eat with them, to sup with them, they say, right, to hang out with them. We could be a whole lot better off if we just practiced that in hospitality. How many people think it's great to invite people to church, right? I think it's wonderful. I think we should be hospitable to, hospitable to all the people who come. I think we need to walk in obedience in the way of Jesus Christ through prayers already mentioned. So much of life could be figured out if we prayed more. Close relationships, I've, this is the whole idea on this thing. We need close relationships with one another. Derwin Gray said this, Pastor Dr. Derwin Gray said, we've made spiritual growth more complex than it needs to be. Obey Jesus. <laughs> Even when you do not want to, you are a new creation in Messiah Jesus with a new identity and a new power. Walk in the spirit and put on the Messiah. I just love that. So, um, all right. What do you want to do now? I have 41 seconds left. I was praying this morning um, with pastors Joe and Josh. I just said these, I prayed these words. I said, Lord, I want, a, I want a prophetic word from you today. We need to hear from you. Can I just ask a question, just on a, a little exit interview, if you will? Um, before you leave, how many people would say that that something that I said today was maybe true for you? Maybe true for you? 
that go like, is it, okay, what did he say exactly? Yeah, so I'll just, maybe some things that are true for you. Okay, so I'm going to believe that that's a, a, a prophetic word for you, that God has something that he wants you to know and understand. If anyone's here, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand here, but if anyone here feels any shame or condemnation because you know the way of Jesus, but you've chosen to not walk it recently, like if you feel some guilt or shame in that, can I just say this to you? Um, don't. Don't. We all lose our ways some days, right? But when the Lord calls, like when mama used to call you for supper, right? It didn't matter where you were. You're like, huh? And then home we went. Right? Don't feel like some way about that. It's all good, man. <laughs> like legit, it's fine. But when God calls you, respond. Just go in obedience back to him. So what that might look like, we're going to have the band come back. We're going to do one more song. And we do this intentionally. I always, we call it like a reflection time or just consideration time. Um, some of you maybe will just check out. I know many people, when the last song starts, they leave. I'm not pointing any fingers, right? I totally get it, right? But what if today you don't? What if today we let the Lord go ahead and continue to minister and we sing this next song and maybe just in, in moments of repentance, we just declare to God that God, I've placed other things in front of you. I put other people in, in place of me to have relation. I've done all these things and I just want you back. That's all I want. So, I'm, so the next five minutes, that's all we're going to do. We're going to go into that place as the band returns and we'll just go into that. And, um, and I think that's all I have to say. Are we good? Um, if you're new to Renaissance, um, just know this. I'm, I'm terrible at ending sermons. I'm terrible. If I have a gift, it's terrible endings. It's what it is. So, so I, all that to say, I'm finished. I'm done. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> There's no like, hey, he's over. I don't know. Um, but I will pray. Would you, would you go ahead and stand? God, thank you for our time. Thank you that we can connect again in person. And, and I feel glad that... So many of us feel safe to come back and, and, and do all of that and to meet in person. God, um, would you use these words and the encouragement of scripture that you know us um, before we speak, you know the words before we do anything, you know us and you have an intimate knowledge of us, God, but we have been invited to know you back. Just like Jesus said, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And so Lord, we confess, we want to know you more. And we've put many things in, in place of you. we put many things in the way between us and you. And we, we say, Lord, we want those things knocked down. We want our lives to be reordered, right? To not be disordered anymore, but to be reordered so that we can have that intimate knowledge of you. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.